0: Verse 1, it says, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, Jesus was crucified on Thursday or Friday by some reckonings. But in that intervening time, he was entombed on those days and the tomb was sealed and guarded by Roman soldiers. That's according to Matthew chapter 27. And that tomb stayed sealed. The tomb stayed guarded Until it was discovered on that very early Sunday morning at the first dawn of light. Now we remind ourselves that the Jewish Sabbath runs, the Jewish day runs from sundown to sundown. So officially the Sabbath was over at the beginning of the previous night. But you couldn't do anything at night. The women couldn't come and do anything at the tomb and prepare the body more properly for burial. So they came at their earliest opportunity. The first light of that uh, day after the Sabbath day, they came to the tomb. And what did they notice? Was they would have come to the tomb. They would have seen this tomb carved into the solid rock. And the tomb was somewhat near to the place of crucifixion. Typically, a tomb like that would have a small entrance and one or perhaps two compartments where bodies are laid after being wrapped with linen strips... Uh, that were smeared with spices, aloes, and anointments. And customarily, the Jewish people at that time left those bodies for a few years until in that climate, they would very rapidly decay, and you would be left with just some dust and bones. They would collect the bones and the wrappings. They would put them in a box called an ossuary, and they would leave that box in the tomb and then have somebody else come and lay in the tomb. They kept using tombs and sort of recycling them, using them with person after person. And once the body was essentially turned to dust, they would put it in a box and they would keep it there in the tomb as a memorial. Now, the entrance to the tomb would be blocked by a heavy circular shaped stone securely rolled into a channel so that only several strong men could move it. And that was simply there to ensure that nobody would disturb the remains. There was always the threat of grave robbers. There was always the threat of people just looking to desecrate or or, or to make mischief. And so that was the purpose of this particular stone over the tomb. So on this first day of the week, now, by the way, notice this. What a fundamental change this was, because from this point on, Christians began celebrating and worshiping Jesus on that first day of the week. We know this from Acts chapter 20, verse 7, where it says that they met together for worship on the first day of the week. And that's really remarkable. It shows how pivotal the resurrection was in the minds of early believers. Ladies and gentlemen, I know in Christianity we talk a lot about the cross. And fittingly so. The the, the Bible says that it's central to the faith that we have as Christians. But please understand this. The cross means nothing without the resurrection. And Christianity is a religion, is a faith that's very much focused, not merely on the cross. Yes, the cross and what Jesus did on the cross has its place. But the empty tomb is essential. If Jesus was not raised, then I could say this confidently. The cross means nothing. Then Jesus, his death on the cross had no more value than either of the two criminals who were crucified on his right or his left. They weren't risen from the dead, were they? But Jesus was different. It showed that his death was different, that his death actually paid a price. His death accomplished salvation for his people. His death did something that nothing else could do. It's like this. I always think in these terms. I don't know if it'll connect with you, but it connects with me. The payment was made at the cross. The empty tomb is the receipt. It's the proof that the payment was accepted. And that's why we need it. You need the receipt, don't you? You need this receipt because sometimes you doubt whether or not the price was paid. Sometimes the devil will scream at you that the price wasn't paid and you have to pay it yourself. What do you do at those moments? Well, you look at the price that was paid, but then you wave the receipt in his face. And I think the devil just simply hates that. That's why Paul said something so bold in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. He said this, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. What a dramatic thing to say. If it's not for the resurrection then this whole Christian thing is empty and meaningless. But ladies and gentlemen, he really did rise from the dead. And it was discovered by these women as they came on that first Easter or Sunday morning. Notice this, it says there in verse 1, they and certain other women with them. Now, who were the women who were gathered there at the tomb? Well, notice the they refers back to the women from Galilee who saw Jesus put in the tomb. Luke mentions that in Luke chapter 23, verses 55 and 56. So they are those women. Luke agrees with Matthew and Mark that they included Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and he also says certain other women with them, including Joanna, and then others who were unnamed. And those women came first to the tomb. You say, why? Why did God engineer that? Well, there's many reasons. I think that first of all, God wanted just to, isn't it interesting that the gospel of Luke begins with an angelic announcement to women of God doing something special. And it ends with an angelic announcement to women that God has done something special. It's just interesting. But here's another thing. I think it was important in God's plan that women come to the tomb first. Why? Because if men came to the tomb first, it could have been said that they rolled away the stone, right? Maybe three or four of the disciples were strong enough with a concerted effort to roll away the stone. But the women weren't. As a matter of fact, in the gospel of Mark, they specifically asked on the way to the tomb, who's going to roll away the stone for us? How are we ever going to get to the body of Jesus to more properly prepare it for burial? Because Joseph and Arimathea and Nicodemus, when they did the job on the day Jesus was crucified, they did a hurried job. They did the best they could, but there was a hurried job and they couldn't properly prepare the body for. Now, why was it important to prepare the body right? Well, mostly for the sake of dignity to the body. I, I mean, I don't mean to sound crude with this, but you didn't want your loved one smelling as he decayed. And so they would put so many ointments, so many spices, so many aloes on there that it would sort of cover up the smell of a decaying body, especially in that culture where there's no refrigeration, there's no proper embalming or anything like that. And they did it because it was just dignified. It was a way to honor the dead. And they wanted to honor Jesus as they did this. So what happens? Verse 1 again says, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. Verses 2 and 3. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So notice, they come to the tomb. The stone rolled away. And then they look inside. And what do they see? They see an empty tomb. Now I want you to notice, at that time, moment of time, when they saw the empty tomb, they did not immediately think, oh, he rose from the dead. Their immediate thought was somebody took the body. Now, this is a very important thing to notice. They did not see the resurrection. Do you understand? Nobody saw the resurrection. Whatever happened, You know, in our modern age of movie special effects and CGI and all these different things, we can picture it probably pretty well. You know, a body there lies on a shelf and in a brilliant display of light, you know, it just sort of fills the room. And next thing you know, Jesus is standing there and the grave clothes are just lying there as if the body almost evaporated out of them and the grave clothes were undisturbed. And there Jesus stands, risen from the dead. Now, this was remarkable, remarkable to understand. Nobody saw the actual act of resurrection and the gospel writers don't try for a moment to describe it. Ladies and gentlemen, if this was just a legend, if this was a story that somebody was making up, wouldn't they try to describe what happened in the actual moment of resurrection? But because nobody saw it, they don't include it included. These are eyewitness accounts and all they can tell you is what they saw. Nobody saw the actual resurrection, but this is what they did. See, they came to the tomb. They noticed the stone was rolled away and they noticed that the tomb was empty. Now, Matthew chapter 27 reminds us that there was a guard set around the tomb. That stone could not have been rolled away by the women. They weren't strong enough to do it. And it also could not have been rolled away by the disciples. Even if they were brave enough, they couldn't have overcome the armed guards there. Nobody else had the reason or the motive to roll away the stone. They said the fact that that stone was rolled away is a marvelous evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. It's not the only evidence, but it's one of the marvelous evidences. Matter of fact, there's sort of a classic work in Christian apologetics, a a book written by an attorney named Frank Morrison. He wrote it some 50, 60 years ago. It's, It's not a new book at all. But he titled the book, Who Moved the Stone? And it's all based on that simple thing. Who moved it? The women couldn't move it. The Romans had no motive to move it. The disciples were unable to. No, it must have been God himself or an angelic messenger that did it themselves. But I want you to notice this. Why was the stone rolled away? Does anybody here think that the stone was rolled away to let Jesus out? There's Jesus banging on the stone, you know, to an angel on the outside. Hey, let me out of here. It works like that. No, of course not. No, the stone was rolled away, not for Jesus's benefit. We have the strange description of this phenomenon where it seems and and I don't want to act overly certain about this. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible speaks about Jesus suddenly appearing and disappearing in locked rooms with windows closed as if, and I know it's weird to say this. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible explains as if Jesus could pass through walls that he could appear and disappear. And maybe this is just simply characteristic of his resurrection body. We can't say we know for sure because we're dealing with something that's so different from our normal existence. But I would surmise to say that very simply, Jesus could have just appeared outside of it. He didn't need to walk out the door. Then why was that stone rolled away? It was rolled away so that people could look in and know for certain that the tomb was empty. That Jesus was not there. And this very beginning of the resurrection account, just these few verses that we've read already, it already refutes many of the false alternative theories suggested by some. You see, intelligent critics of Christianity understand something. They understand that if you're really going to attack Christianity, you got to attack the resurrection. This is the keystone of the Christian faith. You could say this, that Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection. If somebody could rightfully and legitimately disprove the resurrection accounts then they would have a very strong claim to say that Christianity is false and that it just never should be. Paul himself says this. Can I remind you of what he said there in 1 Corinthians? If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. It's as if Paul said this. I challenge everybody, disprove the the resurrection and Christianity falls. So for that reason, many people have tried to explain. That's the word they use. What really happened, that's the terminology they use, in the resurrection. Uh, One theory is called the wrong tomb theory. That actually the women were just confused and they went to the wrong tomb. They went to a tomb that happened to be empty. They go, oh, yippee, the tomb's empty. And all the while Jesus is over in another tomb. You know what? (laughs) I'm going to be gracious and not say terms like stupid or moronic or things like that. But look, it's just not a very thoughtful approach to the whole thing. Because number one, Luke very specifically tells us that the women saw with their own eyes where Jesus was buried. They saw it. There was no confusion. They saw where he was buried. Secondly, if Jesus actually was in another tomb somewhere else, can you imagine what the Jewish leaders would have done when all these crazy Christians were running around saying Jesus is risen? They'd say, oh no, he's not risen. Look over here in this tomb. Here he is. Remember the right tomb? The one guarded by the Roman soldiers and sealed with a seal? There he is. But nobody could ever produce the body. So, so much for the wrong tomb theory. Then there's also what some people call the wishful thinking theory. The wishful thinking goes like this is that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, but his disciples and his followers and these women, they just wanted it so much that they just prayed. Let's pretend so big in their head that they created the reality out of something that never really happened. It was all wishful thinking. There's two things that go against this. Number one, it goes against it because everybody was surprised that Jesus was raised from the dead. The women were surprised. They were not expecting this. The disciples are surprised. Matter of fact, I don't mean to be a spoiler, but I'll tell you what's going to happen in a few verses. The women are going to run and tell the disciples and say he's risen from the dead. And you know what the disciples are going to say? Thank you. It's what we've wanted to believe all along. The disciples say, get out of here. You don't, silly women. You don't know what you're talking about. That's going to be their attitude. They had to be persuaded. It wasn't a matter of wish projection. There's another thing too. I will agree that there are some strange and outlying cases where people will believe things that aren't real because of wishful thinking. But are there people who will die for such things? And where everybody who believes it will die for it, such as all of the apostles, all of the witnesses, they were willing to die for the truth that Jesus rose from the dead. That's very strong evidence. And then you have the, the animals ate the body theory. That, that's answered by the presence of the stone. Some people think, oh, you know, the tomb was left open, so predators went there." that. No, no, are you crazy? That's what, the, the tomb was blocked with a stone and guarded by Roman soldiers. Then there's the swoon theory. Do, do I even need to mention the swoon theory? The swoon theory says this. Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. He just fainted. And in the cool, reviving air of the tomb, he, he came back to life. It's a completely logical theory. Um, Jesus then hopped up off of the shelf. He somehow twisted himself out of the grave clothes, rolled away the stone from the inside. Kung fu kicked the Roman guards <laughs> on and on and on. Yeah, I hope you enjoy a little bit of sarcasm there. I mean, it's, it's foolish to think such a theory. And then finally, the the grave robber theory is answered by the presence of the Roman guard friends. Over and over again, we have this astounding evidence of the empty tomb and what the Bible says about it. So let's continue on here. Verse four. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the son of man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Again, I want you to understand, verse 4 says that they were greatly perplexed by this. Once the women saw the stone rolled away and the tomb empty, their immediate reaction was not to create the idea, oh, Jesus must be risen. They were confused. They didn't understand. What possibly could this mean? We came here to better prepare this body for burial. The last thing in the world we expected that we would come here and the body wouldn't be here. Where is it gone? Why is it gone? They couldn't figure it out. But then, verse 4 says, two men stood by them in shining garments and they asked this amazing question. Look at this question in verse 5. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Friends, that is such a wonderfully logical question. The angel seemed almost surprised. You're looking for Jesus? Why are you looking here? This is where he was buried. Don't you get it? He's not here. He's alive. Why would he hang around in the tomb? He's not here anymore. He's among the living. Remember, too, that in the Jewish world, cemeteries and tombs are unclean things. Why would a good Jewish boy hang around the cemetery? It's just not right. Why do you seek the living among the dead? It's just not where he would be. And so they ask this question. And he says, no, don't think of him as dead. He's living. Go look for him among the living. They said, verse 6. He is not here. The son of man, verse seven, must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Don't you remember that this is what he said? You know, to the women, if they remembered that Jesus said it at all, because for some reason, so many of the things that Jesus said just went over the heads of the people that, he listened, that listened to him. Friends, this isn't strange to us, is it? I believe myself to be a person who is born again by the spirit of God. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Gifted by him with gracious gifts. Meaning I believe that I myself, and I'm not making myself exclusive. I think you have these things as well, but I'm just speaking of myself. But I believe that that I have many advantages over these women. And over the disciples who were not yet born again and filled with the spirit and transformed by God's grace and such. Now, if I am a slow learner, how much more for them? If I forget things, does it surprise me that them before this transforming work of the Holy Spirit took place, that they would be slow to believe and easy to forget? No, They forgot what Jesus said. And so in verse eight, when it says, and they remembered his words, that was the first stirring of hope in their hearts. I want you to notice the first stirring of hope did not come from the empty tomb. The first stirring of hope came when they remembered what Jesus said and connected it with what they saw right in front of their eyes. He's risen from the dead. This is an amazing thing. The tomb is empty. He said he would rise and began rising up their heart. Maybe he really did rise from the dead. Maybe what he said about coming back was exactly true. So verse nine, then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the 11 and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles and their words seemed to them like idle tales and they did not believe them. So you have these women. Now, by the way, it's interesting to me that in all these accounts, what you have is the first one listed is Mary Magdalene. I don't know why she has such prominence here. Mary Magdalene is an interesting character because what she's mainly known for in the scriptures, in the scriptures, not in popular imagination, what she's mainly known for in the scriptures is being there at the crucifixion and being there at the empty tomb. That's mainly what she's known for. The only reference to her outside of the crucifixion and the empty tomb is one reference in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, where it says that Jesus cast seven demons out of her and she was among the women who followed Jesus and took care of him. You know, provided for him out of their substance. Did you know that there was a group of women who went around with the disciples and they helped provide for Jesus and the disciples out of whatever they had? And, uh, you know, I don't know however else they helped, but they 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 were helping along the way. And Mary Magdalene was one of those. Now... I wish somebody could tell me why, in the popular imagination, Mary Magdalene was a former prostitute. That's how it is in the popular imagination. I don't know why. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. It says that she was possessed with seven devils, and that's bad enough. But I know why people put that upon her. It's just sort of a mystery. But this is her great claim to fame. She was present at the crucifixion, and now she's present, she's present There, when the stone was rolled away. So what do they do? They run back. They tell the women these things. Or excuse me, they tell the disciples these things. But look at their reaction. Verse 11. Their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. According to William Barclay, the phrase idle tales is a medical word that's used to describe the babbling of a fevered and insane man. That's how it seemed to the disciples. Yeah, 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 blah, 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 tomb empty, whatever. Saw some angels. Yeah, you ladies, you're all crazy. Typical disciples, right there, right? And what? They didn't believe them. Now, again, I just want to show you that these were not men who were poised on the brink of belief and just needed something to push them over. These were men who were skeptical. Nah, could never happen. Forget about it. He's dead. You just got to come and reckon with the realization. He's dead. That's actually what happened. But then notice here, verse 12. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Now we know from the Gospel of John... That both Peter and John ran to the tomb. And I'm not teaching from the gospel of John tonight. So I got to resist the temptation to just take John's whole account with that. But it is fascinating that John indicates that they both ran to the tomb. Luke only tells us about Peter, but they both ran to the tomb. John also throws in there always seems to be this competitive, you know, male thing about John. John has to throw in. I got there first. It's it's so wonderful, the humanness of the biblical record at that point. John says he got there first, but he was afraid to go in. Again, very typical the character. Peter, I mean, he's the bull in the china shop. He just barges in. He looks inside the tomb and it says that what they saw when they both looked inside the tomb was they saw that the grave clothes were there lying out. And it was as if and I'm paraphrasing the thought here. It was as if the body had just dematerialized out of the grave clothes. In other words, it wasn't as if somebody had unwound the grave clothes or torn them off or left them in a heap or in just kind of any way that it would be if somebody took them off from the outside in. But rather, it was as if the body just came out of them and they were laying there as if the body had just disappeared. Now, once you notice something In Luke's account, look at the word in verse 12. What does he say that Peter did? He said that Peter marveled. But in John, John says that John saw it and he believed. Now, friends, do you understand that there's a difference between believing and marveling? I hope I'm not making too much out of a little thing. And maybe I am. But grant me a little bit of this. I want to say at this moment, John believed, but Peter had not yet believed. He only marveled. And it's possible to know a lot about Jesus and to know a lot about an amazing thing that he is and has done and marvel about it, but not really put your faith in him. You see, you can know that Jesus rose from the dead. But unless you really know his words, unless you know what it means and remember what Jesus said and did and the whole package together, then it won't make sense. Without knowing the life, without knowing the teachings of Jesus, you don't know what the resurrection means. You know, the resurrection means that the payment that Jesus offered on the cross was perfect and it was complete. The resurrection means that the cross was the payment and the empty tomb was the receipt. The resurrection means that death has no hold upon redeemed men and women. The resurrection means that when God's love and man's hate fought it out at the cross, guess who won? God's love defeated man's hate. And the resurrection means that because Jesus was raised from the dead, we who put our trust in him are raised in him. Now this is all coming, not just from the fact of the resurrection, but from what the Bible tells us about what it means. So I don't merely want you to marvel over the resurrection. I want you to know something of what it means and to believe upon the resurrected Jesus. Now, going on here now to verse 13 and I, I need to give you a little advance warning here. Ready? From verse 13 all the way through verse uh, 35 is one of the most marvelous stories in the whole New Testament. It's the story of the disciples on the way to Emmaus and the resurrected Jesus meeting the disciples. And I need to tell you this right up front. I'm going to cut that story right in the middle between this week and next week. We're going to build up to a glorious point right here and then just end the Bible study and then come back at it next week. It's, it's a preaching technique of building up suspense and making up a connection. No, actually, I'm just splitting it up for time wise. You know, I mean, I, ideally, I would have like about two hours to teach this and I do it in one continual thing, but I don't have two hours on a night like this. And so I'm just going to split it up. And unfortunately, I'm kind of splitting it in a little bit of an artificial place, but I'm just warning you about that ahead of time. Okay, so let's examine where we are now at the end of verse 12. Jesus is risen. There's no doubt about that. The tomb is empty. The women know that he is risen because of what they've seen with their own eyes and the angelic announcement. Peter and John have seen the empty tomb and the grave clothes, but they're not fully decided because they have not seen the risen Jesus yet. So Jesus is risen, but it hasn't been confirmed or persuaded in the lives and in the minds of his disciples yet. So now when we come to verse 13, we were on the same day that Jesus' resurrection was discovered. We're still on Sunday with verse 13. Ready? Now, Behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Can you picture now two disciples? Now, not two of the 12 disciples. We understand that there was a larger group of follower of Jesus than just the 12 that were specifically called the disciples of the apostles. So these were some of the, I, I hate to, these were like some of the second tier disciples. Okay. But they loved Jesus and they were very grieved that he was dead. They were probably in Jerusalem for the Passover and now the Passover celebrations are all over. They couldn't travel on the Sabbath and so they have to wait until the Sabbath day is over. So now they're going home to Emmaus, about seven miles away. They're on the road walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus with two men walking along and then a third guy starts walking with them. I don't know if they had pleasant introductions or anything like that. To be honest, I wouldn't know what the customs of the day were and if the customs of the day were followed in that particular case. But these two men were met by jesus and they didn't know who jesus was they didn't understand who it was walking among them now i know you're picturing this in your mind you're letting the movie run in your mind and you have jesus you know in like some mysterious hood around him you know a dark thing like lord of the rings or something like that you know maybe there are some people who speculate That the reason why Jesus could not be readily recognized after his resurrection is because his face still bore some of the marks of the beating that it had endured. We know that his hands retained the nail prints. We know that his side retained the wound in his side. And whether or not his physical appearance was altered, one cannot say. It may just be the difference between Jesus's physical body before resurrection and after resurrection. Friends, I hope I don't look exactly the way I do in the resurrection. We're hoping for a few improvements along the way. So whatever it would be, they didn't immediately recognize Jesus. Okay, so we have that that story here. So they're traveling here. Now, one thing I want you to understand about these disciples They weren't famous. They were simple and anonymous followers of Jesus. And yet Jesus graced them with this very special encounter with him. You know, Jesus has a love for the common man, for the common woman. And sometimes it's easy for us uh, just in life in general, but sometimes in the Christian world as well, we, we, we can kind of think that some people are more important than other people. You know, I just want you to know, Jesus thought, who am I going to spend this afternoon? Hmm, it's the first afternoon, I'm walking around on earth after this. Who am I going to spend the afternoon with? He could have spent it with anybody. And he spent it, spent it with two men who were half anonymous. We know the name of one of them, but we really don't know what the name is or connects to anything. We just know a name. And the other one, we don't even know. To me, it shows something very wonderful about the love of Jesus just for the common person, for you and I. So it says there, verse 15, Jesus drew near and went with them. He went along them for a while. Verse 17, and he said to them, uh, what kind of conversation is it that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Uh hey, what you guys talking about? I see you're kind of sad. What is it that you're talking about? Now, you know, what's amazing. Jesus is clearly playing along with them. I mean, he's, he's clearly interacting with them in a way that later on, they were so playful. You knew all along, Jesus, didn't you? Yeah, I knew. But I, I, I wanted to draw it out. If there's something so wonderful about this. Verse 18. Then the one whose name was Cleopas said, answered and said to him. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened here in these days? And he said, what things? Isn't that just the best? I, I, I can't help but see as I picture this in my mind. When Cleopas says, what are you the only guy that doesn't know what's been happening in the few days? Jesus is just kind of smiling a little. Oh, I know. I know. I know. But then he says, what things? What things? And. There's just something delightful here. And I I hope I'm not being irreverent when I say this. But there's something delightful about Jesus playing dumb here. And just, well, tell me, tell me, tell me what things. And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. And yes, certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that he had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Notice this. They begin to describe, verse 19 says, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Now, you know what I love about these guys? They had pretty accurate knowledge about Jesus. They knew his name, they knew where he was from, Jesus of Nazareth. They knew, as verse 19 says, they knew he was a prophet. Verse uh, verse 19 says, they knew that he was mighty in word and in deed. Verse 20 says, they knew he was crucified. Verse 21 says, they knew that he promised to redeem Israel. And they knew, verse 23, that others had said that he would rise from the dead. But maybe the most heart-wrenching line in all of it is, look in verse 21 where it says, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Oh, we had our hope in Jesus. We really did. He seemed like the Messiah. He seemed like the real deal. Never was there a man who taught like him. Never was there a man who loved like him. Never was there a man who did the things that he did. And when he died on the cross, everything was shattered. We were hoping that he would be who he said he really was. And then in verse 24, where they go on describing, they say, well, listen, the the, the women came and said, yeah, the tomb is empty and he's risen and an angel spoke to them. That's what the women said. But the only thing that these men had to go on was the testimony of other people. But they were very slow to believe. My friends. Was the testimony of the women true? Absolutely. It was true. They should have believed it. They should have believed it. They should have said, yes, I believe. But they didn't. Now, here's the point. Was Jesus risen from the dead? The answer is yes. Yes, you can, yes, yes he really was. I'm not spoiling this, am I? Okay. <laughs> Jesus was risen from the dead. As a matter of fact, he was right there with them. Yet as far as they were concerned... They were sad. They were without hope. They were in misery. Because they weren't living in the reality. Of the resurrected Jesus. Look. I'm going to spell it out for you. Jesus is risen from the dead. And he's risen from the dead. Whether you believe it or not. Do you understand that your disbelief of Jesus rising from the dead. Doesn't make him unrisen from the dead. No. he's, He's risen. That's it. That's all there is to it. The fact is. Is that. The truth of his resurrection can have a life-changing, a life-giving power in your life, but only if you'll believe the eyewitness reports of others. These men didn't see the resurrection. They didn't see the empty tomb. They didn't see the angels. I did not see the resurrection. I did not see the empty tomb, although maybe I saw it on a visit to Jerusalem, but that's another thing altogether. I did not see the angels. But you know what I have? I have the exact same thing that these disciples on the way to Emmaus had. I have the reliable eyewitness testimony of many people. And I have the presence of the resurrected Jesus right in my midst. Whatever else evidence do I need? What other evidence do you need? And so they answer back to Jesus and they pour out their hearts. They say simply... When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. In other words, Peter and John, but him, they did not see. Still in their misery, while well, the answer to all their misery was right there with them. All they had to do was believe. And this is where we got to leave it off and leave for next week but but you're gonna see what Jesus says to them and how he reveals himself to them and it's beautiful plus the end of the chapter which is amazing all in his own right because as far as we're concerned in the gospel of Luke Jesus has not yet appeared to the disciples yet to the 12 or to the 11 rather but he will and we'll take a look at that Next week, isn't this a perfect time of year for us to be coming right in for a landing with the gospel of Luke, preparing our hearts for the resurrection? Now, look, I hope I hope that you have resurrection life. Father, that's our prayer here for tonight. We pray that you would fill us with resurrection life. I pray, Lord, uh, I'm, I'm sure there's got to be somebody here who's wavering in their hope who has a bit of sadness about him tonight. And there you are, Lord, you, the resurrected savior. You're right there in their midst. They're just not believing. They're just not receiving the benefit from it. So Lord, would you touch me? Would you touch every one of us with the glory and the strength of the resurrected Jesus? Do it in our midst, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.